talking about too old, too new comic books on a podcast. Too old and too new comic books. Okay, 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 okay. So you know it's Bill and Seth on the podcast, and you're gonna tune in. You know we all be talking about a Batman. All we ways. be talking about too old and too new comic books. Stay tuned to every episode. Welcome to Too Old, Too New. My name is Bill Beer, also known as Gotham Knight 13 on Twitter. And joining me, as always, is Seth Howard. Hello. Howdy. Good evening. How's it going? <laughs> it's going well. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So, there might be some intermittent coughs in here. I apologize. I think that's going around <laughs> all yep. over the country. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so if you're joining us for the first time, Too Old, Too New, we talk about two old comic books, two new comic books every episode. So if you haven't read... What we're going to discuss, especially the old stuff. <laughs> no, the newer stuff, the old stuff, we really don't have a limit on how old it is. I think uh, we said like five years yeah, and older, yeah. and the newer stuff is five years and newer, but it could be something that's just really... Yep. So, um, how do you want to start off tonight? Well, let's see here. Um, normally we do the old ones, new ones. I think you went first last time, I think, or did okay. I go first? I think so. I'll go first this time. Okay. That's fine. Sound good. All right. So yeah. bring it up here. So going with old comics. So obviously anybody who listens to us knows you and I are both huge Batman fans and I've been playing, um, this game called Batman miniature game from night models. All so, right. Yeah. So really sweet. And, uh, they just released a bunch of expansion stuff. They just came out with like a suicide squad box set from the latest movie and they've announced some other new stuff. Uh, and so I've just been reading a bunch of old stories from some of the characters. And I mean, it's a, it's a great game if you're a miniatures gamer. Um, you got to paint, but some awesome sculpts and models. And they've got, like, the full Batman license, which is awesome. And uh, a buddy of mine who I play with, he uses one of my favorite characters. He uses Deadshot. So, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. And uh, not the Will Smith Deadshot, but the comic Deadshot. So, <laughs> so actual Floyd Lawton. So I decided I was going to go back and read um, the – this would be the second appearance – of Deadshot in the Batman comics, um, but it's his first appearance in Detective Comics. Oh, okay. So, it's his first appearance in Batman. I think it was Batman 54, I think. And he was wearing like a top hat, tuxedo, <laughs> you know. That, That's that a little Deadshot. different. Yeah, so this kind of references that. Uh, but this is Detective Comics number 474. Great cover on it. You see the cover of it. It's got basically Deadshot's head. And the reflection of Batman jumping at him, and he's got his little monocle where he's shooting from, and his little wrist gun, and it says Deadshot's Revenge. So yeah, Detective Comics number 474. It's got the old school Batman Detective Comics logo, which I love. And this story was written by Steve Englehart. Uh, Marshall Rogers did the pencil and art. Terry Austin did the ink art. Ben Oda did the letterer. And Jerry Serpa was the colorist. So, um, but again, it's that classic Batman look. I mean, it's 1977. So December 1977 is how long, uh, Deadshot's been out. So great comic. So it starts off with, um, I, I love the, uh, they give you these starting paragraphs, but like in the yellow blocks. So mm-hmm. an almost legendary figure, the cowled shadow of the Batman prowls through the night, preying upon the criminal parasite like the winged creature whose name he has adopted. Now, accompanied by the equally legendary Laugh of Robin, the teen wonder, he stalks the mammoth shadows of his hidden Batcave, drinking in its echoes. So just, you know, an interesting start to that. And instead of the boy wonder, obviously it's teen wonder because at this point, you know, they've made dick he's older now basically thing so but they're talking they're walking through the uh the bat cave you can see the big penny in the background the giant joker card uh the big dinosaur 
and they're talking about taking down the penguin. You know, it says, so the penguin goes down again, eh? As Batman says that. And next to that is a little asterisk. And again, we've discussed this before about old comics. You know, down below there's a little note with the asterisk that says, carry over from last issue. So, and the name of the story is The Deadshot Ricochet. So they're discussing, basically, they just took down Penguin. And they're walking through the Batcave. And it's kind of funny here. He goes, uh, the next page... Uh, Dick's talking. He goes, well, you know what they say, go to college and forget all you know. Too much time with economics and anybody's brain would shrivel up. He goes, I finally got my term paper on finance done, but I'll sure be glad when I graduate. Get back on the street. Batman takes it as, oh, all that I've taught you, you've forgotten, huh? So he basically attacks Robin. He goes, hey, and Batman says, forgotten all I taught you, huh? Let's see. And Robin says, you're on. So they just start wrestling in the Batcave, you know, fighting back and forth. It's kind of a funny, a playful look to um, Batman in that. And so they're doing it for a little bit, and all of a sudden, page after says, not often that laughter echoes in the Batcave. Not true. Breathless laughter shared by two old friends. And so Batman tells him, you look pretty fit to me, kid. Just a little wet behind the ears still. And Robin says, what? And all of a sudden he goes, nuts, my belt radio. Now what? So he's got his little radio, it's like buzzing. Oh, and his utility uh, belt. Yep, and his utility belt, the old one he used to have. Yeah, and he goes, Robin, Wonder Girl calling. Come to Gabriel's Horn at once. This is the most important meeting since the Teen Titans started. So obviously Wonder Girl you know, getting everybody together. And again, another note below it. And why it's important will be revealed in the February issue of Teen Titans, number 53. So, (laughs) you know, back when they would tie stories together and tell you which comic to read it in and so forth. Yeah, that was always cool. I wish they would do that more often. Yeah. Well, now they do it, but it's like, hey, here's this crossover. (laughs) Yes. But yeah, so it's kind of neat. They keep it going. And she goes, and uh, Robin says, well, heck, Donna, I'm tied up with Batman now. And Batman says, nonsense. If the Titans need you, go to it. Um, and Robin's all, and now they're standing like on a giant chessboard. There's all the chess pieces behind him, I guess. Goes, but I said I'd stick with you till we took care of Boss Thorn. Batman says, but I appreciate it, but I can handle him alone if I have to. And uh, Robin says, okay, I wonder what the big deal is on this meeting, though. And he goes, okay, on my way, WG. So talk, Wonder Girl. And it's kind of funny because then Batman tells her, you're seeing a lot of Wonder Girl in the Harlequin these days, I uh. hear. <laughs> <laughs> and Robin says, like you said, Bruce, I learned a lot from you about both gunmen and girls. <laughs> I got to love that cheesy uh, 70s uh, dialogue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. And Robin tells him, you just look after Silver St. Cloud and leave the heavy stuff to the experts. <laughs> so <laughs> Batman's like, all right, that does it out. And uh, as Dick rides away on his motorcycle, he says, catch you later, Bruce. Bruce says, good luck, Dick, and thanks. And then in, like, a thought bubble, it was good to see you, pal. (laughs) So so just kind of a neat interaction, you know, because obviously I think not too long after that is when, you know, Dick leaves the mantle of Robin and then becomes, you know, Nightwing with his nice blue pop collar uh, costumes. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Uh, But next page uh, says, meanwhile, uh, in the maximum security section of Gotham Prison, is inside Cobblepot, we've kept your cell warm for you. And another note, Oswald Co- Chesterfield Cobblepot, that is, the Penguin's real name. You know, so just kind of reference that. So if you didn't know the Penguin's name was Cobblepot, there's a little reference. So. And then there's another prisoner next to him says, Greetings, Penguin, I see you're back again. And uh, Penguin looks over and says, Don't get cute, Lawton. At least I come and go while you just stay and stay. And the Penguin tells him, As a matter of fact, my felonious friend, I'm about to go again with this ingenious little device. Buffoons, they cannot cage a creature as clever as I. Uh, Lawton says, what are you jabbering about? That's only your monocle. He goes, so it appears, but in actuality, it's a laser lens. When held in the correct manner, light passing through it can be made to slice through solid walls, as I'll proceed to demonstrate. So as he holds it up, Lawton reaches and just grabs it from him. He goes, no, if that's if it's that good, I want it. 
you know, he steals it from the penguin. So, cause like their cells are just adjoining to each other right next and there's only bars separating them. So, so a Lawton's got it. It says, not a chance, uh, give that back to me. And he goes, not a chance, Pingy. You're right. I've been held here for years ever since the Batman beat me. He goes, well, the Scarecrow, Riddler, Catwoman, and you pass through. And literally this little monocle is shooting this laser out into a concrete wall and just cutting a big circle out. So he goes, but now Deadshot is free once more. And there's a guard across the way. He sees this big old clunk of uh, concrete drop out. And guard says, what the? And they start shooting at him. And he goes, we won't be seeing the penguin again for a while. And it's probably just as well. But we'd be seeing plenty more of this man. And uh, so basically the... The prison must have been surrounded by a moat or a lake back then. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, once I arm myself, I'll be off on a bat hunt. Um. So yeah. So basically, Floyd Lawton, you know, Deadshot escaped by stealing a monocle from the Penguin, and yeah. So that could happen. Yeah, it could <laughs> totally. It's uh, yeah. So next, it says. Meanwhile, however, why don't we spy on Boss Rupert Thorne? And that's who you know Batman was talking to Robin about taking care of earlier. He's hitting at his desk, and all of a sudden you can see Batman's shadow in the background. It says, good evening, Thorn. And Thorn says, good lord. And it's Batman there, and he goes, well, if this is supposed to intimidate me. And Batman says, let's cut to the pretending, Thorn. There are no voters around to impress. I came to talk about this cease and desist order you slapped on me. <laughs> so, so basically, Thorn is in politics and somehow got the city of Gotham to slap a cease and desist order on Batman. So, yeah. Like, that would even work. I know, right? So he goes, don't talk to me, Batman. I'm just a civil servant. It's the people of uh, a civil servant. It's the people of Gotham who want you out. After all, the jolts they've lived through lately, they just want one thing. Normalcy. No more surprises. He goes, a caved creature of the night only stirs things up. The order stays. And Batman slaps the cigar out of his mouth and says, you can't stop pretending even now, can you? Always, You're always on stage. He goes, do you think I don't know it was you and your crop of rotten apples who stage managed this? Do you think I don't really know what the people really think? He goes, let me tell you something, Thorn. I gave you this one chance to settle our business peacefully, even though I knew you probably wouldn't take it. Now we settle it the Batman's way. And he, you know, jumps out the window then. He goes, whew, he's gone. But what he said, I have to be ready. So so I love that Batman's going to some politician uh. and saying, drop the cease and desist order. Next page, though. Uh, Thorn's sitting there. And all of a sudden, there's like an image of like a, a ghostly image of Doctor Strange, of Hugo Strange. Professor Strange, not Doctor Strange, sorry. Professor Strange. He says, you better be ready for me too, Thorn. He goes, what? Hugo Strange, but you're dead. He goes, at your hands, Thorn, or at least by your order. He goes, no, I don't believe it. You ain't no spook. There ain't no spooks. Batman's pulling a con job. And then uh, he goes, this is my second warning, Thorn. You murderous life has run its course. When you see me a third time, it will be the end. <laughs> and uh, Thorn's like slapping at this image. It looks like a ghost. He says, this is a trick. But then there's another note that says the first came, the first one came in the last issue, which was Hugo Strange's appearance to him, you know, in the first issue. And Thorne's like, it's gotta be a trick. It's gotta be a trick as the apparition of Hugo Strange kind of moves through Thorne and goes away. So, um, what they've done in this issue though, they've actually tied in like two or three different stories, which is kind of cool. They just kind of reference them. So, well, I noticed the Thorne one, obviously. A lot of those, oh, uh, issues back in the 70s, early 80s, it was like a soap opera. It tied in from mm-hmm. uh, story to story. It had like yeah, it was a, really cool. A light, a, like a lot of ongoing. You know, that's when soap operas were probably in its height. And yeah. I don't know. The the comics were like that. Yeah. So then it says noon the next day. As a 24-hour town, Gotham City sees its residents keep to all sorts of schedules besides the typical nine to five. But only the rich and the freelance keep the Bruce keep the hours Bruce Wayne keeps. 
<laughs> so when you see Bruce getting out of a taxi in the middle of the street, and he's calling out to Silver St. Clair, he says, Silver, my dear, only for you would I get up at the crack of dawn. And she says, Bruce, hi. He goes, you know, if I thought you meant all that malarkey you spout, uh, I invited you to see my work, Bruce, because I like my work. Doing something well is important to me. And Bruce says, to me too, Silver. You're right. I talk in I talk malarkey, but it's all in fun. I don't play games with the Wayne Foundation. And Silver's like, oh, I'm sorry. And Bruce is thinking, a lover spat. Our first. This is getting serious. It's beginning to really matter what she thinks of me. And yet, she doesn't really know me. Not inside. <laughs> There's a part of me she can't ever know. Always the same problem. Ever since the first girl I loved, Julie Madison. They love Bruce Wayne. But Bruce Wayne has become a daytime mask for the Batman. The problem is, would I have it any other way? You know, so this is all in his head. Yeah. So another thing it says, you know, about Julie Madison. Another asterisk says, back in Detective 31, you can find out what became of her in the world's finest, number 248. So, <laughs> so basically, Bruce shows up uh, to this place to where uh, Silver St. Cloud wanted to show him what her job is. And uh, without just reading through everything. So basically, Silver St. Cloud is a convention organizer. You know, they take care of menus, the security, the look of the exhibition hall and all that. And uh, she's like, it's quite a growth industry. Everybody throws conventions nowadays. So she's in charge of a company that throws these conventions. And um, they're walking in this hall and everything's covered still. And all of a sudden, Commissioner Gordon shows up. And they're just talking a little bit, you know. And uh, Silver Sun Cloud's like, can I help you, Commissioner Gordon? And uh, he goes, my boys will be finished soon, ma'am. A dangerous criminal has escaped. And his last known hideout was on this block, so we're canvassing the area. And uh, Bruce is like, oh, who was it, Commissioner? He's like, oh, Floyd Lawton, dead shot. Tangled with the Batman wants and lost. He's pretty bitter about it from all reports. And then that's what it was in Batman number 59 is when that was. Oh, okay. So, yeah. And then uh, Bruce is like, oh, yes, I remember him. He was a master marksman. So, yeah. Um, and Gordon's like, yep, that's him. He masqueraded as a hero while planning to murder the Batman. So they're just talking a little bit, you know, a little bit more about it. And Commissioner leaves. And uh, Bruce then says, now I'd like you to request your cooperation for lunch at the Fox Gardens. So. They go to uh, lunch, and it says a three-block walk later, and they're just taking their orders and stuff. And uh, Silver St. Cloud just kind of starts questioning Bruce. You know, Bruce, can I ask you a question? And he's like, shoot, Silver. He goes, well, you're a well-known man in Gotham, and one of the things you used to be known for was an interest in crime. Because you were a friend of Commissioner Gordon's, and the papers even said you helped contact the Batman sometimes. And Bruce thinks, uh-oh. So, uh, and um, she goes, obviously, you're still a friend of the Commissioner, but what about the Batman? You seem so bored with crime, at least since I've known. And in Batman's, in Bruce Wayne's head, he's thinking, she watches me so intently. This isn't just a casual question. Does she suspect? And he says, the Dark Knight measures his words carefully. And he talks about how he's been so busy with Wayne Foundations. When he was younger, he used to think about crime, but he's just having so much time. Anymore. But then Silver St. Clouds asks him, did you know the Batman? And he goes, well, yes, but Alfred knew him better and some other things. All of a sudden, their food shows up. And so Bruce is sitting there. They've got their food and so he's thinking in his head again. She does suspect. I thought she did the night I first met her. And the, another asterisk, on his yacht in Detective 470. So <laughs> It's only four issues ago they met. So, yeah. He goes, I've tried Alfred for playing his role too broadly, but it may be myself I have to watch. It won't do to get careless with a lady this sharp. So so anyway, they have their lunch. And uh, it says, and Silver State Cloud keeps her own counsel. And then it just shows sunset. And now it shows Batman just sitting up on a gargoyle. And he's kind of talking about how Deadshot haven't, uh, the police haven't found Deadshot yet. And, uh, and he claimed to be my superior and he wasn't wrong by much. I can see him as if it were yesterday and not the kind you forget. And it just kind of goes back to that Batman issue where Batman's just kind of thinking about it where, um, Deadshot was masquerading as a hero and stopping criminals. And he never, he always aimed to disarm, but not to kill. Right. Uh, but what he was doing was 
um, using his new clout because he became a successful crime fighter, but he was using that to take over all the rackets in town and start running his own, basically. And um, so he, uh, Batman and Robin tried to prove it, and so Deadshot tried to kill him. So anyway, he started sh- you know, shooting at Batman and tried to kill him. So, But you see, they show a picture in the flashback where he's literally in a top hat and a tuxedo, you know, and two guns. That's what Deadshot was like back then. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, anyways, Batman's sitting there thinking a shot flies by his head. And he goes, oh, top of the Ellsworth building. Some sort of boost, power boost on the rifle. And then you see Deadshot sitting there in the costume that we all know him in with the red and the silver and the, the mask and everything. He goes, Batman, I know you can hear me. This is Deadshot. Deadshot. So, and it's just great seeing that Deadshot. I love, I've always loved that look of Deadshot, actually. So, yeah. Because it's just cool. So, and this is back in the day, too, when they talk about the comics. He goes, uh, I tried once the clever way, the rich man's way. I tried to simply discredit you, but that failed. So, I planned a shooting accident. And you outsmarted me. I was a wealthy man. I was somebody till you put me in a cell. Made me just another con. But I learned something in there. And uh, he's like, I learned to rely on power, not brains. I learned not to play those fancy games. And, uh, and he's got his blasters shooting at him, you know, his wrist ones. And I love how he explains how they work. My new blasters are like parts of my arm. Every magnum charge I fire comes straight from me, from my hate, not from some fancy shooting gun, from f- some fancy sporting gun. I touch my middle finger to the firing button in the palm of my hand. So he explains how he shoots it. And then by that time, Batman's up on top of the building and they're fighting, you know, just kind of going at it, fighting back and forth. Batman punches him and... Deadshot talks about how he was training while he was in jail, and so he punches Deadshot, and he falls off the building. But then out of his uh, little shooter, he launches a device from his right blaster, which is like a grappling gun, just like what Batman has. It says, catch me if you can. So they're kind of chasing along the rooftops now, you know, both swinging. And then the middle panel, you see a ha, 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 you know, and you see a – in the middle part of that panel, you see a – the back of somebody's head, and it says, that laugh, familiar. What is this, the Harlequin of, what is the Harlequin of hate up to? Sorry, that must wait till next issue. So it's already leading up to the next issue, knowing that it's going to be a Joker story, which is really um, And then Batman and Deadshot land on top of the convention hall that Silver St. Cloud is doing her thing in, and they fall through a skylight, and um, the cops telling Silver to get out of the way. I'm calling the cops. And Silver says, no, Bill, if you call anybody, call the press. And uh, the security guard says, but the Batman's ordered to leave town. We're supposed to report. And uh, Silver St. Cloud says, Bill, we are not turning that man over to the freaking authorities. <laughs> so that's an order. But, yeah, so the freaking authorities. <laughs> well, anyway, when, when Batman and Deadshot land, they land on this giant typewriter. And uh, they're kind of fighting back and forth on top of this typewriter. And um, Deadshot's on one end and Batman's on the other. And so now Batman's standing on the ball, the old typewriters with the balls on them. Right. The letters and the numbers. So Deadshot hits the return number, and that spins Batman, you know, to, he goes, my eloquent answer, the Master Marksman catapults a charge into the carriage return, so it's fully functional, because it actually typed on this big piece of paper, too. And uh, as it spun Batman off, he dives over and hits Deadshot, and uh, um, Deadshot gets knocked into the carriage of the typewriter in there, and uh, Deadshot's like, okay, okay, you win for now and then all of a sudden you hear the cop sirens and batman says here comes gotham's finest i'll take care of you lawton sorry i can't stick around and at that moment silver saint cloud looks up and says batman and he looks at her and she looks at him that pans in on her eyes and she goes it was bruce i know it it was bruce it shows the thing for next week's issue it says next that last the joker and more on the girl and the ghost detective 475 on sale the last week yeah so basically uh straight up classic comic um, but it was interesting reading it again and how, again, they lead into the next week's story, how they covered previous stories. 
what was going on with people from previous stories and so forth. So yeah, great comic, good and, introduction to the Deadshot we all know. So yeah. And some of those led in Detective and 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 Batman crossed over more mm-hmm. often than I remembered. Yeah. Yeah, it was always cool to see that. At, and I uh, thought it was, it was always separate, but you know, a lot of one and dones and that sort of thing, but there was yeah. a lot of two-part stories, three-part stories. Yeah, but it wasn't but back in that time like we said we've discussed before, it wasn't like, hey, here's a 12-issue story arc. Oh, no. You know, yeah. that didn't really happen until oh geez, probably the first big one would have been well, um um Broken Night, you know. I mean, so. the big thing is, you know, if you missed an issue, which is very possible, mm-hmm. then you're missing that. It's not like you can go and uh, pick it up at the if your comic shop was sold out or sold out. Yeah, yeah. It's not like today with reorders, you just get on the computer and yep, that sort of thing. Yeah, so pretty sweet, but a great issue because again, Deadshot, you know, and um, yeah, I've always been a fan of Deadshot. Really became a big fan of Deadshot during the run with Secret Six. You and I have both talked about what a great on that is and he's just great in it but uh yeah it was cool to see it you know and seeing him first time in this you know his costume that we all know him from and everything so yeah very cool i love it, it even it says and yes i can see through this mask batman there's one line in there <laughs> because it's a silver mask so they even explain yes i can see through it you know just to answer any questions that might come up so. right <laughs> so my old book is a first appearance Oh, yours was the second appearance. Mine's the first appearance of one of my favorite Marvel characters, and I did. He didn't become a favorite character from the comics. He became a favorite character from the movies, mm. and that is Blade. Oh yeah, nice. So yeah, my issue is the appearance of Blade uh, from July 1972, the Tomb of Dracula number ten. And written by Marvin Wolfman, not Marv, Marvin Wolfman Colon is the artist. Jack Ink, your letter is Valdemar, and Goldberg is your colorist, and Roy Thomas is your editor. So the cover, this cover is pretty, what I say, classic, you know, uh, 70s, 80s type of cover where it has Dracula holding a girl and Blade getting ready to throw a knife, and it has... uh, word balloons on the cover and he mm. says drop that girl dracula or this wooden knife will finish you off forever maybe you're hot stuff back in transylvania but nobody messes around with a blade the vampire slayer nice. so our issue starts off and they you see two joyous youths as it, they're described <laughs> it doesn't say where they're at but they're like trying to get to america and they get stopped on the docks because they're going to hop on a ship. And they get stopped on the docks by three vampires who were bats and transfer. The girl goes to pick up a crowbar and Blade pops out. And the vampire's like, who? They call me Blade. Blade the vampire <laughs> killer. And he has this green, I would say, green uh, raincoat looking thing with a purple belt like uh, at, a, at an angle over his shoulder. And in that belt, he has his knives. They look like real knives, but they're made, they're carved wooden knives. So he jumps down and he starts to attack the three vampires. He takes out two guys. And then the third one, he has to chase them a little bit. And the guy, the vampire actually turns into a bat. 
So he stabs the bat, and you see the guy actually transform back to human. Which, I know in a lot of the vampire movies nowadays, you stab them working a wooden stake, and, and they either blow up or they turn to dust. Or Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, he notices the last vampire, is, he said, is just a child. And some old man with a cane and a beard, and he says, he says, what hole did you crawl out, Harker? So Blade apparently knows this old man. He says, I had a call that you were in this part of the country, and that you'd be here. You know, you just killed a teenager, Blade. That's Mr. Blade, Harker. <laughs> I don't give a flying hoot. He was a stinking vampire, and he's better off dead. So they have a little conversation back and forth, and he says, you ruined my group of men, and you don't know who these men are. I guess you might if you had been reading this, but this is like the only issue that I really read. And uh, he says, we were on the trail of Dracula, and those three were going to lead him right to him, and you like destroyed our evidence. And they were arguing back and forth, and then Blade just takes off and calls him Gramps. And the girl, there's a girl that's with the old man, and he's, that man is probably the rudest person I ever met. And he goes, perhaps Edith, but in his own way, he gets the job done. So then we change scenes to a ocean liner called Michelle. It is a party ship. There's all kind of a, they call them elite squanderers. A family, family fortunes, inheritors, and now meaningless titles seek to escape the outside real world, and it's like actors, actresses, foreign dignit- disgraced dignitaries and such. And the guy that uh, owns the boat, his name is Gabriel, and he's, you know, he's got his 70s-looking outfit, this bright-colored shirt. <laughs> and he says, friends, he says, your attention, I have a surprise for you. I have a living legend to introduce to you. And it says his manservant is going to introduce him. Clifford Graves. So this guy in a tux comes out and he says, I want to introduce my mass, I mean my boss, and you all know who it is, Count Dracula. <laughs> and he comes out, you know, it's like it's from the movies, he's holding his arms out with his cape, and he says, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, I am Count Dracula at your bid. And then all these girls come up to him and says, are you really a vampire? He said, I'm afraid so, but it's, it is a curse, but you don't need to be afraid of me. He said, the legend I attacked beautiful young ladies is yourself. I assure you, it's not true. Is it true you drink blood? More fabrications, my friend, based on stories of my ancestors. In Transylvania, centuries ago, one particular Count Dracula was known as a bloodthirsty devil. Not me. That would be absurd. <laughs> he says, can you fly? No, more stories of, of vampirism, disease, much the same as your blood poisoning. Periodically, I need transfusions, but others rise, I just, as I appear. So they're partying with uh, Count Dracula, and he picks out a lovely lady and decides to take her to his room. And she's all excited, and he, he behind closed doors, you hear her scream, and then you see the manservant holding the girl, and he says... To his manservant, Count Dracula says, Simply watch her, you fool, until I return, and do not leave her side. Her blood was very pleasing. I may wish more. <laughs> so he goes back out to the part. First he goes to the uh, captain, steering the boat. He takes out the captain, he just knocks him away, and he steers the vessel in a different direction, off whatever course. It doesn't say where they're trying to go, but 
people get knocked into each other, tables get knocked over, and they're like, what is going on? And then he shows his true self to these people, that he is really a vampire, and one guy pulls out a gun and tries to shoot him, and he says, that won't work. So he throws him overboard the ship, and he says, down to your death, which this is kind of funny, but he's just throwing him overboard. He didn't <laughs> bite him or anything like that. He He's basically saying, you're you're all mine. He says, you're going to do my bidding, or I'm going to turn you all into vampires. And he says, I really want you to all to think about this and give me your decision. In the meantime, you see another uh, boat pull up to the vessel, and it's Blade, and he has a scuba gear on, and he gets on board. He's basically said, okay, Count Dracula, this is okay. Your ultimatum is up. Either advance my calls or do as I command or suffer suffer my eternal wrath, the wrath of the living dead. Choose now, fools. Nice. So they're just standing there. One guy whips out a cross. Dracula looks kind of scared, and a bunch of people start getting on top of him and hitting him. And uh, he looks kind of scared, which Count Dracula wouldn't would be that upset. And you see his manservant hear things going on, and he, he's wondering, should I stay with the girl? Should I go help my master? And then the girl wakes up. She looks kind of normal and hits the manservant over the head with a lamp, and she goes out to the deck. Well, in the meantime, they're, they're, uh, Count Dracula turns into a bat and disappears, and that's when Blade comes out, and him and Blade have a really uh, a pretty good fight going back and forth. Dracula turns into a, a bat, and then he's a bat with a human head at one point. <laughs> nice. And they're going back and forth, and there, Blade, you, you who dare call yourself a vampire killer, the one who is sought to kill now has you, and I shall not let you escape alive. And then the girl kind of comes on to the scene that he already bit and distracts him, and he's like, get out of here, woman, leave me, woman, leave me now. And then the manservant comes out and he says, Graves, you mindless worm, she's ruining everything. So basically he throws the girl at Blade, and he turns into a vampire bat and leaves the boat. And he says, but Dracula shall still live to fight again when he will next emerge victorious. But he says, I left a bomb on the ship. It's getting ready to blow up the ship and everybody on it. Dracula left a bomb? Yes, of course. <laughs> of course he, he left it with at the captain. So awesome. people are freaking out. Oh, no, I can't swim. <laughs> And Slade throws the first guy, no better time to learn, mister, lest you want to be blasted to bits. So everybody oh just jumps goodness. overboard, which earlier in the issue, he threw a guy, Dracula threw a guy over that died. Right. They're yeah. all jumping. <laughs> and um, the manservant is still on board, and he's pleading to catch Dracula as the bat. He says, please save me. I served you well, you incompetent idiot, Graves. You outlived your usefulness. Farewell. And then the boat blows up. And it basically says, you hear Count Dracula's laughter. And it says, that means when when we meet again one day, only one shall survive. So that was pretty cool. Nice. <laughs> Very cheesy to a certain point. but Well, I looked up a picture of a Blade's outfit then. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and he has his glass. I forgot to describe. He looks like sunglasses, but they're yellow glasses. And Omar's like safety glasses. 
but they're all yellow. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so pretty cool. Something different. Yeah, completely different. Well, my new book is um, something completely, completely different. <laughs> so I, uh, when I was looking for this a few weeks ago and we talked about doing this episode, I was like, um, I want to find something different. I found something, but it just didn't seem different enough for me. So yesterday or two – no, it would have been – when did I find this? So this book is – wow. Just come, come on, I'll let now. Okay, so – I'm always looking for an odd, quirky book, you know, because we've talked about we love superheroes, but it's nice sometimes to get out of the superheroes and just try to see something different. Yeah. Which, okay, did you ever read Witches by Scott Snyder and Jock yep. did the art on? Yep. Yeah, guess what's getting some more issues? Oh, Witches? <laughs> yeah, Jock had posted on his um, Instagram a note that, sorry, while we're talking about this, let me... Uh, Jock, jock, jock. Uh, he posted today. It was a note. It says, which is number seven by Scott Snyder for Jock Image Comics, April 2017. The note says, Jock, I cannot tell you how happy I am to finally be back to this, brother. I know it was a long break, but we're going to incorporate that into the story. This time, the time having passed, Sailor has grown a lot in the last three years since we last saw her. Uh, since we saw her last, she has joined the Irons and along with them. She's made it her life's work to weed out burrows all over the country. So this arc will get a lot of mythology, history, a big expansion. So, yes. Um, for all of those out you out there, if you have not read Witches, you should go and read Witches because it is crazy messed up good. So, I think yeah. they optioned that to become a movie. Yeah, it was like after the first or second episode. I don't, I don't know if I could watch it, though. So that would be so messed up, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, so it's coming back. It's going to be awesome. So I'm excited for that. So I was like, yes, witches. So, um, yeah. So, uh, my comic. So anyway, back to finding something different out of the ordinary. Um, you've kind of got me hooked on, um, using comicsology. So to, uh, kind of look at stuff, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, cause there's a lot more options than going into my, my local shop and, um, you know, seeing – you kind of go in and you see all the regular DC. You see all of the regular uh, Marvel, um, all that. Well, this is a comic that I clicked on the indie. I was like, well, let's see what's under the indie one. So um, this comic is called Mayhem. <laughs> but it's not the one most people think of because um, most people think of the one that Tyrese Gibson wrote called Mayhem. It was like a three-issue series a few years back. This one is kind of like a um, – a woman named Kate Zellers. It's from Miss Mayhem Studios. She's a freelance illustrator and a comic artist. So it's totally straight up just independent her, I guess. So, yeah. So uh, it's just kind of funny that the comic, what caught my attention is, I'm trying to pull it up here on uh, Comixology again. You know, like I said, I clicked on the indie thing and I was like, right. oh, what else do they have? And... Come on, come on. Sorry, sometimes my laptop decides it wants to go slower. Come on. Oh, so it was under new releases. It says new releases featuring Mayhem, you know. And so the cover on the front was just interesting. So, and uh, Mayhem, number one, and here's just kind of the blurb about it. It says it's Woodchuck's first fight with Miss Mayhem's all-ladies underground fighting ring. Everything's going great until this weirdo named Ambrosius Von Periwinkle crashes a party and kidnaps Miss Mayhem's manager, Cassie. That's all it says. And look at this. I'm like, okay, this has got to be good. So, so, so I download it. 
and it's basically kind of think of in a sense like Fight Club, but all women, but even more interesting, almost with a little bit of Scott Pilgrim in it, I guess. It's so crazy. So anyway, this is called Mayhem, and uh, it's from Miss Mayhem Studios. Um, as we go through it, so written and illustrated by Kate, Kate Zellers, colors by Kate Zellers and Andrew Bateman, and this is just new. So so the first panel it shows us seeing it says uh, boxing, and uh, it looks like a business card. Uh, it says boxing, boxing, boxing. It shows like it would be a, um, you know, like the Vegas cowboy, the neon lights, and is, he's waving. Oh, right. Well, this is a woman, neon lights, and it's like her fist, and she's flexing her arm, you know, is what it looks like. And it gives an address and the time. And uh, the one gal says, you sure this is uh, going to work? It's on a business card with a big M on it. And somebody says, nope. It says, uh, uh, you sure this is going to work? Nope. You gals looking for a workout? Because it looks like a gym. And uh, she goes, there's a gal standing behind the counter. You know, they got this cards. And the gal asked them, because it looks like they're in a gym, in a gymnasium, uh, like a gym where you work out. And uh, says, your gals looking for a workout? They say, nope. Um, and they hand her this business card that they have because can't really say it. I hear that around here. Snitches get stitches. So, and the gal behind the counter says, ladies room is behind the weight rack, pink door. So they're walking and there's like this staircase, you know, it doesn't show the door. And there's these three gals. And the one gal says, if this is a weird murder club, I'm live tweeting our deaths. And uh, the other gal says, my money is still on creepy sex cult. And, uh, the other gal says, oh my God, both of you shut your butts. So. And all of a sudden they go through a door and they go, whoa. And she goes, best, told you best night ever. And so as they're looking, they're kind of now like in an arena and they're looking, you could see a, like a boxing ring in the middle and they're kind of looking. And all of a sudden this other girl just comes running right through them and says, coming through. And, uh, they're both, kind of, they're all three of them are like, what's going on? So the same girl who said coming through is running and shows the panel. This other girl goes, isn't your fight in 10 minutes? And the girl's like, I know. And then another girl says, uh, you're late, Charlotte. And she goes, I know. And then another girl, oh, the other person doesn't even say anything. She just runs by saying, I know. So finally, this lady goes, where have you been? I know. She goes, come on, you're not even in costume. George has been ready for ages. So she pulls her back into this locker room to get her dressed up. And now she's wearing like, so first she's just in shorts and a T-shirt. And now she's got this whole get up on jeans, a red crop top shirt and a vest. Her hands and elbows are wrapped for like fighting. Says, okay, warm up real quick. We can get lock and key to stall if we have to. So the gal is sitting there like she's warming up. You know, I don't know if I can do this. And then the lady tells her, what? She goes, are you kidding me? You can't back out now. And the gal says, I'm going to get pummeled. And she goes, of course you are. She goes, wait. She goes, it's your first fight. You're going to go down hard. But trust me, it's going to be the best day of your life. And don't forget, I'm rooting for you, Woodchuck. And kisses her on the cheek, this other gal does. So she goes through the ring, and you can tell it darkens. All of a sudden, the lights get dark. And then there's a form standing in the middle of the ring. And so the spotlight's on it says, my darlings. And it's this woman wearing this big cape and kind of like this black bikini outfit with a captain's hat and an eye patch. And it says, are you ready for a night of mayhem? And it looks like something straight out of like Jim and the Rockers. I don't know if you remember that. When I was a kid, my sisters used to have the, the dolls. Jim and the holograms. That's what it oh, was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the crowd's going nuts. And uh, she says, our first bout of the night, my darlings. Our very own gorgeous George, the most beautiful fighter ever to grace the ring. And it's this large built black woman wearing just like a tuxedo shirt and the pants and the cummerbund. We'll defend her title against a brand new challenger from the far shores of the icy north, stronger than iron and tougher than Flint, the wondrous Woodchuck. And Woodchuck's the gal who was late, this white girl with, you know, short red hair and get ready to fight. It says, the rules are simple, my sweet. Stay on your feet and in the ring. Now fight. <laughs> and so... Kind of shows them going back and forth, fighting, you know, and kicking, punching. And all of a sudden, one, two, three, Woodchuck is down. 
Gorgeous George has upheld her title as Rose Champion once again. So Woodchuck's just laying on the ground, and she opens her eyes and looks up and says, This is the best day of my life. And so, you know, she got her book kicked, but she's awesome. And Gorgeous George walks over to her and says, You did good, kid, and hand, offers her hand to help her up. And she says, That was amazing. Can we do it again? And uh, Gorgeous George is like, Gotta let Doc check your head first. And then goes back to the main character in the middle, which her name's Mayhem, you'll find out. Says, Now, my darlings, Gorgeous George isn't the only one defending her title tonight. It's time for the Matador to step into the... And as she's getting ready to announce, you hear a scream and uh, pans up and shows someone standing there. says, not so fast, Miss Mayhem. And Mayhem's all, Ambrosius. She goes, that's right. The king of carnal pleasures is crashing the sweaty little garbage heap. So Ambrosius is a drag queen. (laughs) (laughs) Megaphone. (laughs) And uh, there's a ninja standing next to Ambrosius and it's holding a person. And Woodchuck yells out, Cassie. Cassie is the manager, is, is... is um, Mayhem's manager that helps run the event. Says, unhand her, you latex-covered cretin. Ambrosius has this gal, uh, Cassie. He goes, did you think you could keep this deliciousness all to yourself, Mayhem? Everyone knows the key to your success is Cassie Jones, and now she's mine. And then it starts showing up these other fighters. He goes, hey, Glitter Muppet, you're not leaving with Cassie. And the other one says, or your teeth. And then there are these two French gals that talk in French that I can't say what they say. Set tenu quel horror sediment in Amérique. So whatever that means. Said something to Ambrosius. And then Gorgeous George said, she messed with the wrong bitches, mop head. <laughs> so, and then Ambrosius says, oh, ho, 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 must I drill it into your pretty heads? Women are not made for true violence. You can never win. And then he <laughs> says, my sparkle ninjas attach. And so Ambrosius is wearing this gold outfit with these feathers and this big blonde wig. And has these ninjas in purple. Starts attacking the other fighters. And they're like, what the hell? So they're trying to get all these other fighters. And they're talking, don't get distracted, fight, you know. Uh, at one point, Gorgeous George says, my eyes, is this glitter grape scented? Because they've got all this glitter they're throwing at him. says, girl, someone grab Cassie. He's getting away. And then uh, Ambrosius says, it's too late, Mayhem. You've humiliated me for the last time. If you want your precious Cassie back, I suggest finding a man to save her. And so all the fighters that were there to help, they're kind of beat up and bruised. All of a sudden, Woodchuck's like, no. And uh, Ambrosius says, away, my sparkle ninjas. And then they just disappear in a big old cloud of purple sparkle dust. <laughs> so... <laughs> So they kidnap Cassie, who's apparently the manager of is um, Mayhem's manager. Now they're all back in Mayhem's office and talking about how Woodchuck, who's the new fighter, says we got to get her back. And uh, this other person, who's the Doc, says slow it down, newbie. It's not that simple. Doc is right. Ambrosius von Periwinkle is an idiot, but he's an idiot with the fortress. Dante's Menferno. She's all gross. And it says Dante's Menferno. It shows this picture. He goes Dante's is seven stories of tacky, disgusting, impenetrable debauchery. There are seven floors, each with a different theme. So envy, there's the penthouse. Pride, wrath, lust, gluttony, greed, and sloth. It's like there's a goon squad on every floor, and no doubt he's got Cassie on the seventh floor in the penthouse. Doc's like, so obviously we go in guns blazing. Mayhem says, no, that is exactly what we do. And she goes, are you insane? The doc says, she goes, no tricks, no games. We don't play by his rules. He can't beat us our way. He couldn't then, and he will not now. And just kind of goes through, we're stronger, smarter, faster, and all that. She says, we're going to take him down. She goes, everyone get ready. We leave in an hour, is what Mayhem says. So they're all getting ready. Well, Cassie wakes up. She's on this big heart-shaped bed, and he's like, where am I? And Ambrosius is like, oh, you're awake. And Ambrosius is like, well, welcome to your new home, my captivating captive. You're now my personal accountant. And Cassie's like, like hell I am. And Ambrosius is like, I got you your own laptop. I decorate it myself. These stickers are holographic. <laughs> it says you can keep away from me. I'm going to leave, or I can leave whenever I want. He goes, oh, but you can't. He goes, are you freaking serious? And, well, Cassie is chained to this bed with, like, the furry cuffs and a gold chain, so... <laughs> anyway, they're all getting ready, getting their gear together, and Woodchuck 
kind of has a, you know, doesn't want to get ready. And Doc's telling her, hey, wh- where's your gear? Wheels up in 15. She goes, you saw me when they got her, got her Cassie. I froze. I'll only be in the way. And Doc's punches. Woodchuck says, cut that shit out. We don't have time for you for any emotional revelation. You'll do better. You'll be prepared now. So shut up. He goes, I've been with Miss Mayhem a long time. She's never wrong about her fighters, and she chose you. So Woodchuck's getting ready. Then it kind of goes through, like, in a sense, a training montage of showing pictures of all the different fighters getting ready, and finally it shows Woodchuck. And then finally the doc says, I hope you idiots know what you're doing because I'm not coming after you. And uh, Mayhem kisses him on the forehead and says, you worry far too much, my darling friend. We'll get her back, doc. He goes, yeah, well, you better. Yeah, this is an awful plan. But the great line is, uh, okay, so the final page, they stop out in front of Ambrosius's seven stories, you know, says, uh-huh. we're never putting that many people in a Gruber again, you know, instead of an Uber. So, uh-huh. And they're looking at this thing and says, oh, man. He goes, I've taken him down before a long time ago. He may have a castle, but we have pure, unadulterated female violence. We ready? Ain't going to know what hit him. Oh, they will know when I hit him. Round two. And he goes, hang on, Cassie, it's going to be mayhem. So they're all standing there getting ready to go in now. So totally a crazy, odd comic, you know, but I want to read the second issue. So it's it's something completely out there where so it's an all-female fight club. A drag queen comes in and kidnaps the accountant that helps run the business so he can have his business do well or whatever. And they're going to fight through a seven-story building so that's kind of like the scott pilgrim aspect of it so completely bonkers and insane but it's a fun read i mean the art's okay you know she's this gal's writing writing it doing the art uh but for what it is it's pretty good you know so it was just a lot of fun so sounds cool yeah so it'll just be interesting to kind of see where it goes so yeah you gotta be Uh, amazed at people that do that you know Oh, yeah. I mean, to be able to do all your own stuff and then get it published and put it on Comixology, that's yeah. really cool, you know? So I think it's really cool how, because the comic industry is so large now, you'd think, oh, there's no room for, um, you know, indie stuff, but it's really cool. And, and the thing is, is uh, indies, there's a lot of really good stuff, and there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of stuff out there you're just kind of like, what in the world, you know? But this was, you know, like I said, I read the description, and I'm like, oh, I got to check this out. So <laughs> it's it was worth it. So, so two ninety nine on Comicsology. People are interested in getting it. So, Sounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my new book is more of um, is a crossover, but it's more. I think it's going to lead more into conversation. Um, depending on if the uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Have you been reading uh, Superman Reborn? No. So, I'm basically going to spoil it if you've not heard already. That's fine. Last yeah. I heard, we're a spoiler podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it's big spoilers as far as rebirth goes. Oh, okay. So, this Superman Reborn, basically, it started off, it was four issues between Action Comics, Superman, and it was the big mystery of, at the end of uh, the issue right before this started, it was the mystery of who the Clark Kent was. Was you reading any any Superman books at all? Yeah, yeah. So Clark Kent was was walking around, and so was Superman, and you didn't know who the Clark Kent was, how he got to this and that, and you find out that uh, Clark Kent was was uh, actually Mitzel Picklick. Wow, seriously? Yeah. Who <laughs> who escaped from Doc? Uh, who escaped? from Mr. Oz's prison. There's currently a couple other people there. He's got Tim Drake, who's supposedly dead. 
in this prison. But uh, Mitzel Picklick broke out and he was trying to Superman's secret identity problem, he pretty much solved. But he was really upset that Superman had forgot about him. Yeah, there were, there were some that, that liked that reveal and didn't. I was okay with right. it. But in the Superman Reborn, basically, challenges Superman to like a contest that involves his son, John. And this issue... Basically, at the beginning of this issue, this is Action Comics number 976, and Jurgens, Doug Monkey is your art. There's a bunch of inkers, Mendoza, Almy, Scott. It starts off with Mitchell Picklick accusing Superman of being a cheater, and something happened to him at the end of the previous issue that involved these red orbs. They got absorbed in Superman and Lois Lane, and it turns out these red orbs were actually New 52 Superman and New 52 Lois Lane, who both have died. So, in this issue, they get John back, but they don't... Superman and Lois doesn't remember John. John's like, I got you back, and they're like, we don't know who you are, and I'll call him Mr. M, because I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Mitchell Picklick. And he's, like, so excited, he said that he's going to take John with him because if he beat him at his contest, got to the top of his tower, that he had to go to his home dimension, and he was going to take this boy. And Superman's, like, grabbing him and said, who is this boy? And he says, I say the better question is, who are you? And he says, think about it. Is Lois Lois, or you you? Long story short, John, Superboy's son, finds these two blue orbs. Find these blue orbs who's who's the pre-Flashpoint Superman and pre-Flashpoint Lois. He finds some way and kind of fuses them together. So here's the big reveal. Metzoplik, I guess, goes back. He's defeated. He goes back to his dimension. Pre-Flashpoint Superman and New 52 Superman have merged into one. They remember... John, of course, they're all excited and they go happily ever after. Mitchell Picklick keeps mentioning about he's not going to be happy. He, I assume, is, um, you know, Mr. Watchman, Dr. Manhattan. But something weird happens because when Superman fuses with his old essence or whatever, uh, the New 52 and pre-Flashpoint, that their two realities merge together. So essentially, there's pictures of their memories coming back, and Perry White was at the birth of John now, hmm. um, and he remembers both realities. And they're, as I said, everybody around them is gonna remember this new reality as as the Superman that's always been there. And he's got a new costume, which is a version of the his old costume without the the underwear or whatever. My que- and they show, they allude to he's not going to be happy, Mr. Oz. They show a big picture of Mars, who's obviously Dr. Manhattan. But right. he remembers pre-Flashpoint Universe, has all those memories and everything, from what I got out of it. Hmm. He remembers that. So when it comes to, is this what they're doing with Rebirth? Are they going to have it where every character has a memory of, uh, it's not going to change their their age or anything or 
whatever happened in this universe, but they're going to have a memory of what happened in the previous universe. Is that how they get around of the new 52 reboot that's not really a reboot, but is a reboot? Really liked. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Is that is that how they get around that? Oh, that's interesting. Oh my gosh, I'll have to get the issue now to look at it. Oh, because that sounds so just finagle. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not a, a terrible story, but there's like they show all these pictures and they show Lois and Clark get married. Lois, it looks like. Uh, is pregnant and they go talk to Perry. Perry's holding the baby when it's born. Uh, they got a whole bunch of Superman villains on here. They show uh, Pa and Ma Kent getting Clark for the first time. They show Clark at in high school. They just say show different things where he first revealed himself to be Superman. The cape. The torn up cape where the doomsday fight happened. Yeah. So obviously that is part of his. See, it's either part of what happened or I, I'm not 100% sure because it's very vague. If the two realities merged to one or right. if he remembers both. But from what I got out of it, that people that are that he's going to come in contact will remember him and Lois having a kid and will remember him and Lois being married and won't remember any of the other stuff. Huh. Which will this? I have a feeling that the same thing's going to happen to everybody else. Right. On the final panel, he says, uh, it has Mr. Oz looking at Superman. He said, The family that has done the impossible, proven that true love really can conquer all. For them and those connected to them, twin realities are now united as one, yet questions remain. So it sounds like, it sounds like here, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. But Dr. Manhattan separated them at one point. Right, make, which would have been, yeah. To make a weaker Superman. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah, so maybe we'll get ready and tie it up there. Okay. If you'd like to contact us, we're on Twitter at too old, too new. I'm at Gotham Knight. Seth is Seth Must, must die. die. Yeah. And we're on Facebook. And if uh, you want to send us an email, we'll read your email if we ever get one. <laughs> Yeah, come on. They, uh, they tweet at us at least. Be a too old, too new podcast. Gmail.com. Yeah. Send us a telegram. There you <laughs> go. And for Seth, I'm Bill, and we will see you later.